Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Jamie Goldberg. I'm here as always with Caitlin Murray. And we have a lot of games to talk about, but I am not sure how positive <laughs> the conversation is going to be. Or really, as uh, Caitlin, you point out this weekend on Twitter, how uh, high the morale is going to be. Yeah, I think, especially on the Timber side, there is a little bit of a morale problem right now. And I think that's probably a good starting point for this podcast right now, right? Because that's sort of my takeaway from the past two games is just morale doesn't seem great. Yeah, uh, I think you posted that question on Twitter Sunday after the Timbers uh, scoreless draw with Minnesota. Fans sort of agreed with you that morale wasn't very high right now. I I think there's probably different reasons for that. Uh, Ron asks us what's having the biggest impact on attendance and interest right now at at Timbers games. Is it the congested schedule, the form, the protests against the Iron Front and political signage at games, or even the weather or or something else? Yeah, so the question that I tweeted, I didn't say that morale was bad. I actually just said, you know, I'm excited to see what questions fans have, but I have one for everyone, which is how are mor- how's morale these days? And I thought there might be a mix of answers, but Jamie, we were talking about it before we started recording. The responses were overwhelmingly negative. No one uh, chimed in to say that morale was good. And I have to say that the reason I asked is because the, the morale and the enthusiasm around the team is the lowest I can personally remember. I mean, at least starting there, I'll get to Ron's question, but would you agree with that? Because, you know, I wasn't around for the 2012 season. I know that was a bad one, but maybe it's recency bias. It just seems like this is the least enthusiasm I felt around the team ever. Yeah, I, I wasn't here for 2012 either. I, I was an intern in 2011 and then left for a year and came back full-time in 2013. So we both may have just not been here for the one season where uh, the Timbers obviously fired their coach and morale may have been at its lowest. But from the years that I've been here, I, I would agree with you. I've never seen morale or, or really the interest around the club or the excitement around the club, especially at this point in the season, as, as low as it feels right now. I, I think that you go back to, I think it was 2016 where the Timbers didn't win on the road. The excitement was still there towards the end of the season, although I, they really crashed out on the final day of the regular season in Vancouver. Uh, and it was a very... Yeah, that memorable... Uh... <laughs> Lucas Milano was uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sort of sealed his legacy as a timber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the game you'd point to when you think of his legacy, unfortunately for him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the interest level and the excitement right now is not what you would expect. And it's not what we've seen from this team that we know it has one of the most, usually has one of the most passionate supporters bases in all of MLS. So yeah, there, there is yeah. a different feeling around this group. Yeah. And I think that, My best guess is really that the schedule is the primary driving factor. And Jamie, you and I have talked about this uh, off pod before. You know, we love going to games. We love our jobs. We're paid to go to soccer games. It's great. It has been a little bit of a grind going to Providence Park every few days. And, you know, I'll just admit for full transparency on the pod, I did not go to all of the games Uh, between our last podcast and this podcast. I was getting a little uh, worn down. So 
I do think just the sheer volume of games at Providence Park has made it less of an occasion, a little less exciting. So I think that is the schedule. And it's a weird season because of the construction. So I think that has affected enthusiasm. But I don't think you can discount the Timbers form right now. Usually when I think of Timbers home games, I think of of a team that is flying, is on the front foot. There is, you know, slick interplay and confident attacking soccer that's fun to watch. And it just hasn't really been the case this season. The Timbers have not been that exciting. And I mean, a 0-0 draw sort of sums it up. We'll talk about that. There were a lot of shots, but the home games just don't feel like they used to feel. Watching the Timbers pump long crosses <laughs> into the box is not fun. <laughs> like, that's not what what I want out of uh, the soccer team that I'm watching. So I think they've been less fun. And then I think some people in the responses to my tweet did bring up the Iron Front stuff. And, I mean, that is an ongoing discussion that you know I think we're gonna finally have a week off from talking about it MLS um, met with uh, supporters recently and they're gonna talk to them again on Tuesday we are recording Monday night so hopefully that will be resolved but I think for the fans who brought up the iron front I do think it's a minority of fans who even care about this issue but they are definitely a vocal minority so I mean I wouldn't rule it out as being a contributing factor but I think it's just the schedule I think this hasn't really worked out the way anyone was hoping and too many games at Providence Park is sort of my takeaway yeah and I mean you can kind of see that from when you're looking at the stands so the last two games the ones we'll talk about Red Bulls and Minnesota the stands were basically as empty as I've ever seen them in a Timbers game. Obviously, there's 5,000 more seats this year. Maybe there's some perspective bias going on. Um, But there's definitely empty seats. And the majority of those empty seats are are not uh, in the Timbers Army section, although up towards the second level of the supporters section, there are have been some empty seats. Um, But you're seeing most of those in in places like the Key Bank Club, places where season ticket holders probably have seats and are just not coming to games probably because as you mentioned, there's so many of them. Uh, There's not this need to come to every home game because you're going to get one every two days. So I would agree that it's mostly the schedule that sort of has um, maybe dampened the excitement a little bit, but the Timbers army has continued to hold protests. There's been the, the stadium has been quiet up until the third minute and, and 30 seconds in the, in the last few games. I think that, creates a little bit of a different atmosphere just sort of leading up to the game than what we're mm-hmm. used to. And obviously um, yeah, that protest has, you know, brought MLS to the table. So it's been effective what they've been doing between that and the other supporters groups and all the protests uh, that have happened. But I, I think that contributes it to it as well. I, I thought after the Minnesota game, it was a bit strange. I was in the press box and uh, finishing up my story before going down for the to Gio's press conference. And when I looked around, I saw the players reaching the North end and and it looked like there was already a number of fans who had cleared out. Uh, You usually see the supporter section completely full uh, for that lap around the field and and the supporters often cheering that entire time. And so that just seemed a bit different. It's not the atmosphere or the excitement, as you said, that we're used to seeing. Yeah. And I've seen fans on social media talking about the secondary ticket market is not as robust as it used to be. And, you know, again, there are 
4,000 plus more seats. And it's a supply and demand issue to some degree. But I think the message that I've gotten from fans is that that secondary ticket market has changed as the season has gone on within the season with the new supply of tickets. So the enthusiasm does seem to be waning a little bit. That's not to say, like, the Timbers are not in crisis. Um, It's not as if this team isn't beloved. I think this is just sort of a weird season. And this is, frankly, I think just sort of a tough season. It's a challenging season to be a fan. Covering the team, I feel like there's a lot of negativity around it. It's definitely more fun to cover a team that is winning. And, you know, the players and the coaches are happy. Uh, Covering the team last year was more fun, frankly, than it has been covering it this year. So, you know, I I don't think the Timbers are in crisis or anything like that. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, that's what we're saying. But there is a palpable shift in the enthusiasm around the team right now. And that sort of was my takeaway from these past couple games. I mean, we're going to get into the games now. Some of that is some of the stuff we've been talking about all along, but this felt just like this took a step forward in terms of the enthusiasm gap. I tweeted a picture of the stands. They were as sparse as I have ever seen them for a Tempers game. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the form as a factor of that. So let's get into it. One thing I want to mention about the form, I, I mean, you talked about the excitement, the Timbers flying usually at home, scoring goals, Timbers haven't scored in three games at home. Uh, To put that in perspective, last season, the Timbers only were shut out twice at Providence Park for the entire year. So, Mm. I mean, just trying to watch this team and get excited about it. I I mean, fans don't even have goals to celebrate right now. And that's (laughs) not something that happens that often at Providence Park. Um, Well, the Timbers (laughs) are now 270 minutes without a goal. The Thorns had hit, I think, it was 262 minutes, and uh, you had a funny tweet. You said you miss goals at Providence Park, and <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. I think I retweeted you. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to, you know, have something to celebrate again. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about the lack of goals and the results that have come with it. The The first game we got to review is going back to last Wednesday. That's Timbers versus Red Bulls. Timbers lost 2 to nothing. I thought they'd rebound, get a win with the Bobasi goal. You thought they'd at least get a draw, 1-1 with the Predis goal. They're not scoring goals, so I don't know what we were thinking. Um, (laughs) Move along. Nothing to see here. Uh, But I think um, just looking at the attack, I I mean, I thought this was an opportunity for the Timbers a little bit because the Red Bulls were struggling. And they also are not a team that bunkers. They they play a high-pressing system. And we've talked so much about how the Timbers struggle to break down bunkering teams maybe this was going to be the opportunity for them to uh, open up a little bit more space. It didn't happen. So my question for you is what went wrong? And and to sort of add on to that, Andrew asks, uh, why has the attack fallen off a cliff? Yeah, I think going into this game, we recognize that the Red Bulls, they play a high press, they play a counter press. That creates openings that the Timbers can exploit. Definitely not a bunker. But I think... You know, we we want to think about things in larger narratives, but just looking at this game and the way it actually played out, within three minutes, Thomas Konechny was not prepared for the pace and the press of the New York Red Bulls. He got caught in no man's land. Kyle Duncan scores a goal. The Red Bulls are up within the first three minutes of the game, and that 
just changes the game. The Timbers have struggled all season when they concede first. When they concede a goal, the Timbers just do not have the wherewithal to come back from that. And Thomas Konechny got burned badly. He did not track uh, Duncan's run into the box. And I think that sort of just changed the game right there immediately. I think it wasn't just Konechny. I think Paredes also seemed to struggle just a bit early to adapt to the Red Bulls counter press. It was very effective. You know, when the Red Bulls lose the ball, they swarm to win the ball right back. And I think that sort of pressure, just the aggressive pace of it, I just think it took some of the players, like I said, Paredes, Konechny, some of the players a little time to adjust to that because that really isn't what they have encountered in Providence Park. At Providence Park, teams are usually coming in and bunkering. So I think... You know, Andrew sent us the question, why why is the attack falling off a cliff? And I do think that even though this doesn't fit neatly into the narrative we've had all season of the Timbers can't break down bunkering teams, I do think the problems we saw in this game are some of the problems we've talked a lot about before. The Timbers just not looking crisp enough in their passing, quick enough to react. Players coming in and out of the lineup could definitely be a factor, and that could be affecting team chemistry. I think fatigue could be a factor. I mean, we'll get into uh, the next game against Minnesota, but sort of what everyone said after that game was all the players are tired, which is not a great takeaway from a game to just say, well, we're tired, you know? But I do think it is reasonable. Five games in 15 days, they probably are tired. And then something I think we've been asked about, we've sort of touched on a little bit, is I'm sort of starting to wonder if Giovanni Savarese and the coaching staff have clear ideas, right ideas uh, for what the team should be doing. Because, you know, we talked about the team crossing constantly, being unable to get around bunkering teams. But I have to say, it's not often that I look at something the Timbers do and think that, oh, this is something they worked on. This is something that they are well drilled on. They, you know, practice this on the training ground, and this is what they're turning to in the game. It's automatic. They've practiced it enough that this is what they do. I don't see a lot of that. And so there are all these different things that I think are contributing factors. Things, you know, we've been talking about this podcast the whole time, uh, at least since I've been on the podcast. So I think what went wrong with the Red Bulls is a lot of what has been going wrong all season, basically. Yeah, I I think that the game state, as you mentioned, was a a big contributing factor. I I think from a confidence perspective, especially since the Timbers have struggled so much when conceding first to concede that early really shifted the game. And I agree on on when you're talking about fatigue. I, I mean, the high pressing system that Red Bulls use is not something is something that's going to be very effective against a team that's tired. And the Timbers with the injuries they've dealt with with the fact that they have players coming in and out of the lineup, uh, Blanco wasn't in that game until the end and I think he provided a spark when he came in off the bench. Uh, I think the Timbers looked tired in the first half and the Red Bulls had a lot of opportunities. I mean, they could have scored more than just one goal. I think in the second half, the Timbers did better. It looked like they might come back. There's a late penalty kick that sort of seals the game for the Red Bulls, but I, the Timbers sort of took too long to to get to the point where they had a plan for maybe how to, uh, sort of play against, uh, the Red Bull style. So, it's the same sort of attacking problems. I think chemistry, I think players coming in and out of the lineup, like you said, 
that all matters. Uh, but it comes down to this team can't find a way to score right now. And it's not just one problem. So it's not as simple as correcting that one problem. And I, I think that was made very clear by the Red Bulls game that it's not just that this team needs a different solution besides crossing against bunkering teams. It's that a lot is not working in the tack right now. And Giovanni Savaresi really has to go back to the drawing board and figure out some sort of plays, some sort of combinations he wants to see on the field that are actually going to lead to something different. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, one thing we saw, um, I'm trying to remember, I feel like Wednesday is so far away. Uh, (laughs) Brian Fernandez, you know, we have a couple questions about this, so I'll just uh, get into these. David asked for thoughts on Fernandez as a winger experiment against the Red Bulls. Um, David says that communication with Brian Fernandez hasn't seemed to be great. Jeff also asked about uh, Fernandez. He wants to know what is contributing to Fernandez's decline in scoring goals. I mean, I guess let's start with the first thing. Fernandez was not on the wing the whole time. I think it was sort of just a starting thing. Then he did move centrally. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, he was on the wing for like seven minutes. It was okay. <laughs> um, it was really shocking, sort of, to see that. To see how quickly Savaresi, uh, after saying he was not going to start Fernandez on the wing, that that was not something we were going to see. He tries it. And it lasts all of like seven minutes. They, they switched back so quickly. And I, I don't know if it's because after the Timbers conceded the goal, uh, Savaresi just thought that having Fernandez on the wing was going to leave the Timbers exposed defensively. That might have been the issue that if uh, New yeah. York hadn't scored so quickly, the, the experiment would have continued. But it was it was kind of just depressing, I think, for all of us who have been calling for, let's give that a try, let's give that a try. To, to see it be so short-lived and not even get a chance to see whether it, it was something that was going to work. I, I, I mean, yeah, there was, there was very little, I think, that we could take out of that because of how short uh, the experiment was. I actually, I remember thinking, I was wondering if the intention was actually for Brian Fernandez to play on the wing or if it was, we're going to start like this. And then try to throw Red Bulls off when we switch back to what, what we normally do. <laughs> yeah, I I really didn't take very much from that. And, you know, Jeff asked, you know, about Fernandez not scoring as many goals. The person who had asked if Fernandez was Samuel Armateros, the new Samuel Armateros, asked that question again. It was like, well, now is he Samuel Armateros? And I have to say... I actually don't know what to make of what's going on with Brian Fernandez because, um, you know, we're, we're jumping ahead a little to the Minnesota game here now, but he had this mysterious stomach virus uh, that we talked about in the last podcast, and then he had to come off against Minnesota because he was feeling dizzy, and Sabres, I said, that might be related to that stomach virus. So it seems like he must be dealing with something, and this is something that he has been dealing with now for a few games. So... You know, I would love some more specificity on, you know, what sort of stomach virus this is, because in my mind, I'm thinking these are short-lived things. I'm kind of wondering what's going on with him. But Fernandez had to come off early. I mean, there was no way Giovanni Savarese was going to use a sub on Brian Fernandez if he didn't need to. You know, and there are other things, you know, fans making so much of his body language and trying to read into his interactions with his teammates and coaches. And I just think he's a competitive guy. I think that's normal. 
But the more he doesn't score goals, the more he's in this drought, the more people are going to sort of speculate and wonder what's going on with him. You know, I think he's clearly very talented. When he first arrived, he was scoring a lot of goals. He's not been scoring a lot of goals lately. I don't think it's just as simple as teams have figured him out. I mean, teams have figured out Joseph Martinez. That has not stopped him from banging in goals for Atlanta United. So I think this is sort of a complicated question. If we knew why Brian Fernandez wasn't scoring goals, if it were a simple thing to diagnose, then the Timbers would just fix whatever it is. I I don't know if there's a simple answer. Yeah, I, I just don't think he's really looked in the last few games like he's had that same fire that he had earlier in the season. And maybe that's because, I mean, he does score come on and score that goal against Kansas City after supposedly uh, being sick that game. That was a big goal for the Timbers to, to lead them to that comeback win. Then the next game, he he's out with this illness or stomach virus or whatever it is. Uh, and then the last two games, I, I think he's been a non-factor um, when, when he's played. So... I don't, I don't know. Did, did he have the flu? I think if they had said that from the beginning, it would have made more sense. Um, but again, like we talked about before, we saw him coming to a game when he couldn't play in it. And that seems yeah. very weird uh, if you actually have I the still, flu. I still have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. That remains unresolved to my mind. This, this whole thing remains unresolved. I, I mean, I, I don't really see why Savaresi would have, you know, made up a story after the game or anything like that, because no one asked, uh, he, he wasn't asked about why he pulled Fernandez. He offered that information and said, mm-hmm. Fernandez was dizzy. So if there really was some conspiracy going on about why Brian Fernandez can't, isn't a hundred percent. So he could have just completely ignored it and, and not even brought it up in his press conference, but whatever is going on with him, it's certainly infecting his play. Um, I don't yeah. think he's been very good. And I, I don't think, I think the Timbers attack was good midseason when they were scoring four goals against Houston at home because of how good Brian Fernandez is. And without him, I just don't know where this team sits uh, sits in terms of an attacking team, even with Blanco and Valeria, I, especially as they're dealing with a packed schedule and tired legs. Yeah, I mean, Brian Fernandez was brought on to score goals by the bucket load. Like, that was his job. If you look at who was scoring goals for the Timbers last year, there's no question that there were not enough goals there with the roster that the Timbers had. They needed to get someone who was going to score a bunch of goals. That guy is Brian Fernandez, and he has not been scoring a bunch of goals, and we've seen how that has affected the team. So I think it you know, it remains a mystery. I, if there is an explanation, if there is something going on, we don't know what it is. You know, sometimes strikers just have droughts and they go cold and have trouble scoring goals. I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable, uh, plausible explanation as well. So we'll have to see what happens, but they really should try to sort that out if they want any chance of, you know, contending in the playoffs. Yeah. So let's look ahead to Minnesota. Uh, Brian Fernandez, I, I think, also didn't do very much in that game, but the Timbers attack. Um, did do a little bit more, at least in terms of creating more dangerous chances. They didn't score uh, because apparently they don't score anymore. Uh, the Timbers <laughs> played Minnesota to a scoreless draw. I thought they were going to lose 2-1 to one with Minnesota scoring a PK. You thought the Timbers were going to win one nothing with Larry scoring a PK. There were no goals, so it would have been pretty hard for us to make actual predictions <laughs> um, that would have hit it on the head. But the Timbers do outshoot Minnesota 29-20. to 20. They have 
multiple big chances. I, I mean, I, I think for me, at least un, unlike the DC game and unlike the Red Bulls game, I, I felt like the Timbers, whatever you want, whatever it means at this point in the season, because it's not good enough, but I did feel like they took a step forward in terms of the chances they were creating, but they've still been shut out in three straight games. So um, yeah. it's just sort of starting there. Um, Clark sort of, I think, agrees with me a little bit. He said, seems like the team made a deliberate shift to get guys to the top of the box or where Polo and Predas found a lot of space and time. Is that a new shift in trying to break a bunker? Or was it something that you specifically saw against Minnesota? Yeah, so taking Clark's question, uh, I do think he's right. I do think the Timbers seem to make more of an effort to make their crossing a little more deliberate and useful. I mean, the Timbers are not backing away from their plan of just cross the ball a billion (laughs) times because they crossed the ball 37 times against Minnesota, which is still a lot. And if you're going to cross the ball, you need players crashing into the box. You need players who are in positions to try to win second balls. And I think that is what we saw Paredes and Polo do. I thought they were trying to get into the attack more and try to create ways for those crosses to actually turn into something fruitful. I also think that we saw uh, Zarek Valentin and Jorge Marrera, they both pushed forward. And I think something we saw them do a little more in this game was cutting in centrally instead of overlapping wide and then crossing the ball from those wide areas by the sideline. I think they were trying to get a little more central. So I agree. I thought the Timbers looked more aggressive in this game. I sort of wonder how much of it is based on the game state. I feel like it's not that often that the Timbers aren't conceding early goals, and uh, that clearly has an effect on the way they play. They cannot handle going down early. So, I mean, this game was 0-0 the whole time, so the Timbers were playing aggressive the whole time. I don't know if this is something they are going to start doing in the future if, if we're going to see it in another game. But I do think, you know, they did try to be more aggressive in this game and they clearly had something to show for it. I mean, they had 29 shots and they combined with Minnesota for the most shots in the game to not have a goal scored. <laughs> so there, there were plenty of chances at least. Yeah. I think they took 11 shots on target too, which is a good number. There was a, a flurry of chances in the second half where the Timbers really should have scored. I, I mean, Paredes puts a ball off the inside of the post and it, it somehow bounces yeah. across the line uh, instead of going in above Simi has one header saved and then puts what should have, which is a header. We see this too often with the Bobasi, a header that he should put away. He puts wide, I think in Mm -hmm. terms of expected goals, I didn't see the number reported this week, but I imagine that the Timbers expected goals went up considerably in this game compared to what they've been doing. uh, It was around 2.2, I think. Yeah, so that's um, compared to some of these games where we've been saying, well, their expected goals were 0.8 and things like that. um, They they definitely made improvements in the attack. I've honestly never seen Polo that I can remember take something like three shots in the first half. Um, (laughs) I... I haven't seen him try to be as involved in the attack as he was uh, in that game uh, pretty much ever before. So I think there were a lot of positives to take away from this. But the fact of the matter is the Timbers still don't score. And and so at some point that it's not good enough to just say, look at all the progress we've made when there's three games left in the season and, and you need a team to be sort of hitting their stride, reaching their peak, getting ready for playoffs. Uh, to not be able to score for three games in a row at home. So 
Um, I think that leads into a question we had from another listener. Uh, Chisops wants to know <laughs> if we will assign blame for the scoring trouble between Geo's coaching, the players, and, and just maybe luck. So I don't know if Chisops, that must mean chops, but like um, in Snoop Dogg speak, Chisops. <laughs> um, I don't know if he wants us to rank them, but. You know, I do think it is all three of those things. I think, you know, like I mentioned already, the players are tired. That was the main talking point after the game was everyone talking about how tired everyone was. I think the players are lacking a little bit of chemistry for whatever reason. I just think back to, you know, other iterations of the Timbers and they seem to have a stronger connection on the field and move the ball better. So I think there are some chemistry issues right now. But to be clear, it is incredibly unlucky to take like 30 shots and not score a goal. Like I mentioned, the expected goals was around 2.2. They should have scored something. It's kind of crazy that they didn't. But I mean, this is a positive uh, step forward that they created all these chances. Um, But then you look at it and say, there is a lack of finishing and, you know, Giovanni Savarese, like I said, I thought the the team did look a little more aggressive in this game. I think he Savarese clearly was directing uh, Valentino and Marrera to play a little differently. Polo and Paredes, I think he gave them license to uh, get into the box a little more and try to be part of the attack. But what's clear is that things haven't really been working for the Timbers this season. And it's not as if there's been a point where Savarese has rolled out a really different look or really changed the way the Timbers play in a way that's a departure from what we've seen. So it's a little surprising that he hasn't sort of changed things up either. So I think it's all three factors. I mean, I hope that's not considered a cop-out, but I think it can be all of them at once. I mean, I think luck uh, probably had was more uh, impactful in this game versus Minnesota than the other games, just in terms of how close the Timbers came to scoring. But I don't. I, I would still put luck significantly below the other two things because I think overall the Timbers haven't created the, um, enough of their own luck. I, I mean, a lot of these games outside of this Minnesota game where Savarese's come out, like the DC game we talked about last week, and said we played really well and we just couldn't score and we maybe we were a bit unlucky. I just didn't think the Timbers did enough to really create chances that they should have scored. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you have to put the blame on the players and uh, Savarese's coaching. I don't really know how to assign that in terms of percentages uh, because I, I think that's something you don't fully know if you're not on the training pitch every day and you're not really seeing what Geo's telling them and whether the plays, players are implementing what Geo's asking of them. But one thing that does worry me is when coming out of that game, Geo on his own brought up that the players were tired and yeah. the players, I know they've dealt with a difficult schedule, three games or five games in 15 days. This is the third time they've dealt with a stretch like this. This is not an easy schedule. This is different than past years, but the Timbers knew what their schedule was at the beginning of the season. And if yeah. they thought this was going to be a problem, yes, there's injuries. Yes. Those are factors you don't know that are going to happen, but you have to assume there are going to be some injuries throughout any year. They should have been picking out specific games where they said, you know what, we're going to pay, play a B team on at this game. And the Timbers have rarely done that this season. We've seen Savaresi try to play a strong lineup in every single game, even if there are several rotations. 
And, and so at some point, I think if you're saying your players are tired three games from the end of the season when they should be peaking, I think that speaks to not managing minutes well. Um, I, I think, yes, yeah. injuries, but like they have training staff that's supposed to make sure that that's not happening. And, and so I, I definitely, outside of just tactics, I, I have to assign the coaching staff some blame for the players being tired at this point. Yeah, and I think that it felt a little bit like an excuse to say the players were tired. I mean, everyone at this point in the season, I think, is tired. And to that point, I mean, the Timbers had some players come back from injury who have been pretty well rested. You know, Larry Smabiala came back, uh, Blanco, uh, Paredes had to come off early against uh, Red Bulls because – it looks like he broke his leg, but he's uh, he's a young guy, and young people's bones are uh, stronger, I guess, because uh, he came back, so he was well-rested. I just think the tired thing was a bit of an excuse, and I actually don't think that they really needed an excuse in this game because, you know, 270 minutes, no goals, that's bad. Morale is not great. You could tell that this was a really disappointing result. But I do think it was a positive step forward. If you just look at the amount of chances they created and good chances, not those, you know, terrible uh, low percentage shots from outside the box, but like actual good chances where you would expect them to score. If you keep doing that, eventually goals Mm -hmm. should come. And I think it was easily their best performance over the last several games. So I just thought the excuse that the team is tired was sort of unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, I, I like you said, I, I think there are positives to take out of this game. Um, I, whether the Timbers can continue, that's the question because we haven't seen them creating these types of dangerous That is chances. a big question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially on short rest because they're going to be tired if they're tired already. Yep. Um, Timbers, I mean, despite the positives, Timbers are now in eighth place or they're still in eighth place. They are... They have yeah. three games to play. They hold a game in hand on Dallas, so they do technically still control their own destiny. Destiny. If they win out, they would be in playoffs. They might be in the sixth or seventh seed, so that doesn't feel that great. Uh, but the next two games are, are definitely going to decide that. Um, they 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 still might be playing to something on the end, the final day of the season. But the next two games this week are going to be really big for the Timbers to, if they hope to make playoffs and if they hope to get at all a decent seed in the standings. The first one is uh, Timbers versus Revolution. That's coming up Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Revolution are also fighting to be the final team in the East to clinch a playoff spot. Uh, Michael has, I, I think, a uh, fun question, given uh, the form right now. Uh, he wants to know <laughs> who will be the next Timber to score. Will it be a goal or an own goal? And I'm adding this. And will it come against the Revolution? Mm. <laughs> um, what other non-Timbers possibilities are own goal, maybe like bounces off a crossbar or something? <laughs> um, no, I I think, well, I don't know if I really believe this, but I'm going to try to will it into happening. I think that Jeremy Obobese has clearly been knocking on the door. He's doing the hard work of getting himself into really good positions to score goals and the finishing hasn't been there at some point it's going to happen for him I think the concern is at this point in the season with the table as close as it is and playoffs 
not assured at this point. I think the pressure is really mounting. And this is the point in the season where we are going to see where some, you know what some of these players are made of. And players' confidence, I think, might be shaken after you know 270 minutes without anyone scoring goals. So I think there is a lot being put on Jeremy Obobese's shoulders. I think that I have seen a more uh, mature and composed player this season than I did last season, so I am hopeful that he will be able to embrace this pressure, come out with a goal, maybe spark the Timbers in the right direction, but I think you can hear it in my voice that I'm not fully convinced that's going to happen, but I am hopeful. Abobasi is probably the player I was going to say in terms of who would score next just because of the opportunities getting and because he's a player that we've seen has factored into every I believe it's every single game this season he's a player that's not going to probably get a full game off um, being one of the younger players on this roster if it's not him I think Blanco very likely could score the next goal I I think he Mm -hmm. has given the Timbers a spark um, since he came back from the injury I am not convinced it's going to happen on Wednesday I I am really worried uh, hearing a coach admit that his team's fatigued, hearing players talk about that in the locker room when you have a game coming up three days later. And I'm, I'm just not convinced the Timbers are going to have the energy to, to get it done against a New England team that has a lot for, to play for it too. Um, I think looking ahead, the next game will be Timbers at Kansas City on Sunday at 4.30 p.m., Kansas City is a team that's lost three games since playing the Timbers. It seems like they feel like their season's over. Um, honestly, for me, I feel like if the, the goal is going to happen, uh, being a little bit pessimistic, we, we might not see it until Sunday <laughs> in Kansas City against a, a team that's uh, basically, I think, given up on their, their season. I like that you said, if the goal is going to happen. You have just put out into the universe that the Timbers may never score another goal again this season, Jamie. I mean, there's Bite your tongue. Three that more cannot games. happen. It's- we need to pray to the soccer gods that that does not happen. It, it would be a demoralizing end of the season. I, I do think the Timbers will score again in the final three games. I don't think they'll close the season with six straight games of not scoring. But I just don't know what to expect from New England. Um, I think... Uh, And you can, I mean, your opinion on the Kansas City game, we don't really need to preview it, but I I think that that's a team that's really fading fast. And um, I, I, for me right now, Kansas City is obviously a Western Conference opponent that's on the road. There's some reasons why that might be tougher, but I think New England's a team that has more to play for. And and Kansas City seems to have just fallen off since uh, losing to the Timbers. When the Timbers go to Kansas City, this is an opportunity for them to play the way that we have talked about they like playing all year they should be the counter-attacking team that we know they are best as I think being on the road might be good for them I (laughs) frankly think the players might be a little sick of being at Providence Park just like you know the fans are and we are like we (laughs) talked about so I think going on the road will be good for the Timbers that is an opportunity for them to maybe get a little refresher reset get their season back on track because if they can't do it on the road in Kansas City. I'm not sure what is going to shake things up enough to get this team back on track. Yeah, we will see. Maybe, maybe they'll shake things up and get a win against New England before then. Uh, it didn't sound like either of us were confident, but uh, this this week <laughs> no. will definitely, uh, by the end of this week, when we're talking next week on the pod, uh, we will have a much better idea of where the Timbers are going to finish in the standings. Before we hit our hot take segment, we just have a two, uh, two more quick questions from listeners. Uh, the first one is from 
Joe, and I think both of these uh, kind of go together, so I'll ask them together. Um, Joe wants to know, are we likely to see Diego Valeri in a Timbers jersey next year? And Mike wants to know, will the Timbers blow up the roster in the offseason? Well, I think we should start with Joe's question about Diego Valeri. And Jamie, I think you might have more thoughts on this than I do, but I think his contract is up at the end of the year, right? And... I've seen fans like claiming on social media that Diego Valeri is like exchanging more jerseys with players this season as sort of like the thinking is that if he's on his way out, he wants to get these jerseys to commemorate his time in MLS. I I haven't seen that. I don't know if that's true. I've just seen that out there. But I do recall in January at MLS Media Day, Valeri made some sort of, I don't know what the question was, I wasn't at Media Day, but he made some sort of comment about not knowing where he wanted to finish his career, whether it was here in Portland or in Argentina. And I remember at the time that really jumped out to me because as far as I know, he had always said he wanted to end his career in Portland. So for him to even leave it open was a little surprising. So I feel like there have been these little seeds of doubt planted about whether he'll be back next season. But Jamie, you might have more insight. What do you think? Yeah, I I haven't had a chance to ask Diego about it yet. And I I will uh, at some point and hopefully have a better response from him. I I think I would just put it at 50 50 this point because I don't know for sure. And I know that he mentioned and left it open at, at media day and I don't know where he and his family are at, at this moment. I, I don't think there's anything to say that he's definitely staying. I, I mean, we've seen in the past, the Timbers have announced extensions of contracts that has not happened with Diego Valeri at this point, And we are reaching the end of the season. The Timbers may have some sort of option on this contract. So I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's just completely done at the end of the season or uh, what's going to happen there. But I, I, I'm going to put it at 50, 50 because I don't know yet. And there's nothing that I'm hearing either way to, to make it sound like he's definitely staying or, or definitely leaving. I'm curious if he does stay, with the full knowledge that he's 33 years old and he's still a great player, but I don't know that his form the past couple seasons has been what it is in the past. If he does return, do you think it's as a designated player? Do you think they move it down to a TAM contract? I mean, I don't, I don't really know what they would do. And I don't know what that contract would look like because like I said, he is 33. When players start to slow down, it, tends to happen pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that, you know, I wish in MLS we got to see players' contracts more closely. Like I said, I'm not even 100% sure if he has an option on next year. And if he has an option, that means it's for a specific amount in which he may still be a designated player. Maybe the Timbers don't want that option. Maybe they want to renegotiate because they want to buy him out of that so that they can bring in a designated player. And then that raises questions. Does Diego Valeri want to renegotiate his own contract? Would he prefer to go back to Lanus? So... I I feel Mm -hmm. like it would just uh, add some clarity to be able to see these contracts and and to be able to know exactly what's going on. Um, But I'm not sure. I I, I mean, yes, Diego Valeri could be a designated player again next year. I think if Brian Fernandez (laughs) returns to the form that he was in or or anything close to that and and Blanco continues to be the player that he is, I, I think having those three as designated players still isn't a bad option. Um, but I, I think the Timbers would certainly have more flexibility if they, they had a way to buy that down and make Valeria Tam yeah. player. Yeah, and then to Mike's question about will the roster be blown up, honestly, I think it's 
going to purely be decided by where the Timbers finish the season and not how good I think or you think or any of us think this roster is because I have to be honest, I thought we would see more roster movement last season than we did. And I think it's purely because the Timbers reached MLS Cup. The team front office made a choice to try to keep the team together as much as possible. I personally would have brought in better players at certain positions. I would have cut some players loose. Ahem, Aspria. Uh, <laughs> so there were decisions I didn't really agree with, but I think they just felt that because the team did well, that they were going to bring it back. So I think it really depends how the Timbers do this season. If they miss playoffs or crash out, I think we will see much more changes than if they make a run somehow and, you know, I guess magically we'll just sort of forget the fact that this whole season has been a slog just because, you know, they played a few good games in the postseason. I think that how they finish is going to make a difference, but I don't see them blowing up the roster pretty much um, whatever happens because I think they spent a lot of money on Brian Fernandez. They really are stuck with him at this point, so uh, they better hope this drop in form is not permanent. I think players like Paredes, uh, Bill Tuiloma have shown that they're good young players that the Timbers want to develop over time. So I think there's a lot of positions where they're sort of a, a little bit stuck um, right now. And I, I don't see them making big changes there. Obviously there could be things like Valeri leaving. That would be a massive change and, and the Timbers would have to, um, get another number 10 in the off season that they could decide that maybe Jorge Mera, um, hasn't worked out. I think that's worked out better than we were saying earlier in this, this season. Um, but then there's other players like Claude Dielna, Dairon Espria, where do they really fit? moving forward. So I don't think it's going to, the, the roster is going to be blown up. I think there could be changes. I think that the worse they do, the more changes there's going to be, but the core of this roster, I think is going to be relatively similar. Well, I think uh, it's hot take segment time, right? Jamie? Yeah. So I think you should go first. Cause you're yes. Uh... Minus timbers related. So I'm, I guess sort of, it's just, <laughs> it's really complaining related, which is what I feel like uh, this podcast has been uh, this time, but I didn't really have any strong takes this week, but I was thinking about, you know, the players being tired. I think you and I being tired of going to Providence Park. And I do think it is a little crazy that the Timbers have played five games in 15 days, three separate times this season. And like I said, I think, you know, the players being tired is a little bit of an excuse. Everyone is tired in MLS. Like, the schedule is what it is. But I do think that when you're running these players into the ground and making them play every couple days, it makes for bad soccer. It makes for sloppy, sluggish, just not great soccer. It's not appealing or fun to watch when you have a bunch of players who have been run into the ground. So I might be a little oversensitive to it, like I said, because I think for you and me, between Timbers and Thorns, we have been going to Providence Park a lot, and we are not running out there for 90 minutes, but it's still, you know, it's still a, a little bit much, and this is a weird season. This is not how it's always going to be, but I still think that when you look at the amount of games that teams in MLS are playing and the quick turnarounds... It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why not just shorten the season? They play 34 games. Well, I mean, I know why Why not, 
because of money, because the more games you have, the more money you can get from ticket sales and TV contracts. But I think they should maybe consider shaving down the season a little bit because, you know, the weather in North America is what it is. You cannot actually stretch out the season to start earlier or end later because it's just too cold. And that also makes for really bad soccer. But I think at this rate, MLS is going to end up with 32 teams. That is a lot of teams. Uh, What we see in the NFL, first of all, in the NFL, teams play once a week. That's how it works. Soccer is not baseball. They cannot play games every two days. It's just too harsh on your body, soccer compared to other sports. So I think, assuming MLS is going to keep expanding, they're going to get to 32 teams like the NFL, they should do something where... You're mostly just playing the teams in your conference, and you don't have to play every other team in the league. That would be an opportunity to play less games. It would also be an opportunity to travel less. And I know that charter flights is going to be a big issue in the next CBA, and players are going to be pushing to get more charter flights instead of having to fly in commercial airlines across the country. But for me, it just... With the league expanding as much as it is, I would like them at least to reconsider the amount of games that are being scheduled in these stretches. Because I think we can all agree, five games in 15 days doesn't really do anyone any favors. Yeah, I I think that, you know, the U.S. Open Cup complicates it and the Timbers making a run complicated that, but that doesn't change the fact that they would have had a lot of Wednesday's games regardless and that they would have had this stretch uh, going on right now at the end of the season I think that there's been talk about MLS maybe moving the season up just a little bit um, to start maybe at the very end of February. I think that's an option. I think it's a work in progress because the the MLS is now moving to single elimination playoff format. They now have this tight uh, date they need to finish by before the November international break. And I I think that's made the season a little bit worse in in terms of teams balancing these compacted schedules. And it, it certainly has hurt the Timbers. So Maybe the answer is revisiting the number of games. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it's trying to move up the season just by a week or two. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's really unfortunate for the Timbers that in each of the last three months, they've had to play a stretch of uh, five games in 15 days. Uh, that's not something you want to see as often as you've seen it with the Timbers. Yeah, and if the Timbers had not even qualified for U.S. Open Cup, then yeah, those are games they don't have to play. That makes their schedule less compact. But This is soccer. Teams have Open Cups. They have um, CONCACAF Champions League. There are these new random uh, (laughs) tournaments or one-offs against Liga Mekis teams. Uh, Mike Pecky got fired over one of them, which is the worst way to get fired. Don't get fired over a glorified friendly. That's, That's a bad look. So there are all these new competitions popping up all the time, and I think there is an appetite to have even more, to have MLS teams and teams in Mexico playing against each other more, and that only adds to what I think is already a really compacted schedule. And that's another reason to maybe ease off on some MLS regular season games. So you do have the room for some of these competitions where I think the hope is that these are going to be valuable games that people care about and these competitions are going to grow. So it doesn't have to happen overnight. I know that MLS is constantly tweaking things just as they did with the format uh, for the playoffs this season. That is something new that people have been asking about for years at this point. So it can't happen overnight. 
I just think that five games in 15 days sucks. (laughs) So in the future, I would just implore MLS executives to consider that. Anyway, Jamie, it's your turn. What is your hot take? My hot take is going to be about the Thorns game on Saturday. Uh, It's not going to be about what happened on the field so much as what wasn't known in the press box and within the team in the league. The Thorns clinched a playoff berth on Saturday with their win over Houston. Uh, That's because Utah and Seattle play each other uh, in their next upcoming game, which means that one of those two teams is going to have to drop points, and, and therefore the Thorns are definitely going to the playoffs. That is something in the past us NWSL media members would have known. Uh, because the league would have been sending out something in advance that said, these are the ways that different teams can clinch. Um, Because that wasn't sent out, because that wasn't a storyline, I I don't think anyone in the media was looking that closely at the table. But it is shocking to me that the league didn't know. Uh, After the game, the league said the Thorns moved closer to making the playoffs. They did not know the Thorns had clinched. Mm -hmm. The Thorns... Uh, staff didn't put out anything until the next morning when they realized they had finally clinched. And and that really only came after members of the media and and fans sort of told the Thorns on Twitter and and through emails that they had clinched this playoff berth. And I just think that is, it's just crazy that in a professional league, this is not something that PR staffs and, and teams and clubs in the league are paying attention to. I think it speaks poorly to what the NWSL PR situation looks like right now. You brought this up in your story, but the NWSL has not had a PR uh, communications director for the entire year. It has been difficult for media members to get a hold of the NWSL to get uh, interviews with, with people like Amanda Duffy. They brought someone in who just left. Now their current communications staff, their entire seemingly communications staff is one college intern. I I just think it for a league that wants to grow, that wants to gain support, you have to start with getting media coverage. I think that's a very important part for any growing league. And if you don't have the right PR staff in place, if you're not doing that kind of homework, if you can't put out a branded press release that says this team clinches, you're really missing an opportunity. So I think yeah. on the league and on the Thorns, uh, they, they absolutely missed an opportunity this weekend that, that should have been known. Um, and it's disappointing from from a professional team, a professional league, that they didn't even know their team was going to the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So the article you were referencing, just for listeners who uh, weren't sure what you were referring to, I wrote an article for Yahoo Sports that came out today, Monday, where I talked about something we've talked about on this podcast before, U.S. soccer uh, no longer being the league operator for the NWSL. And I talked about some of these issues that make me think I have concerns about that. One of them being the fact that neither the league nor the Thorns had any idea that the Thorns clinched a playoff spot Saturday night because the playoffs is what you play an entire season for. Literally the entire season is building toward whether a team is clinching the playoffs or not. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, I don't think that the players, Mark Parsons, I don't think anyone part of the thorns actually realized that they had clinched if they did they certainly didn't yep, mention it didn't which mention makes it. me think that they did not so someone dropped the ball i mean th- these are the things you should know and i do think that if the nwsl had a communications director that person would have as they have in years past put together the playoff scenarios i mean 
in the press box against Minnesota, you and I had MLS's playoff scenarios pulled up so we could see what would happen. And I knew that if Minnesota won that game, they clinched the playoffs. There have been no communications like that from the NWSL. There was a week of previews for this game between the Thorns and Houston, and there was no mention of the possibility that playoffs could be clinched. So, yeah, I think, frankly, it was, um, you know, embarrassing, and it just sort of showed where this league is at right now. I think this league is terribly understaffed in its front office, and that's sort of the main issue. It's... U.S. soccer being the league operator, um, I don't know if it is as big a deal as just the fact that the league needs more staff. The The league needs more people in place who are paying attention to these things. Because if the thing we've all been working towards all season, which is teams clinching the playoffs, if that does not even register a blip, then what are we doing? Like, is this a serious sports league? Like, I thought it was ridiculous. I thought it was embarrassing. Honestly, it's Monday night. I'm not even sure if the NWSL has still acknowledged (laughs) the fact that the Thorns clinched. I don't know if you've seen anything. They definitely hadn't on Sunday. I checked uh, Sunday night and they had not. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of many things that kind of show that the NWSL still has a long way to go. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. Let's talk about the game now where the Thorns did clinch this playoff berth, even if nobody knew <laughs> the Thorns beat Houston <laughs> one to nothing uh, at Providence Park this weekend. I, I think we thought the score would be a little bit more lopsided. I had a 2-0 win with a single. You had a 3-0 win with a Heath goal and assist. It turns out to be one to nothing. And I, I think that the Thorns dominated in this game, but but it wasn't as decisive as I think we were expecting coming out of the 6-0 loss to North Carolina. And I think that is why we have this question from Donna. Uh, Donna wants to know, was Houston that good or are we still off as a team coming uh, uh, since the international break? The Thorns just don't seem to be the same. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by the way the Thorns played. I mean, as you mentioned, I don't think it was a bad game, but I do think there was a palpable sort of anxiety on the field. And I think they just desperately wanted to get that first goal and they looked a little antsy. And I think after that, you know, embarrassing six to zero loss against the courage, I think we saw just that was lingering in the back of their minds a little bit. And Mark Parsons talked about that after the game, that the players looked anxious. And when Tobin Heath scored, It looked like relief. It didn't look like what we usually see, you know, jubilation, joy, um, you know, scoring goals is fun. It didn't really look like that. It looked more like, thank God we're not going to be shut out again. Because, you know, as we talked about, they had gone 262 minutes without scoring a goal. So I don't think it was a bad performance. I mean, they definitely created a lot of great chances. And as we talked about in our Timbers discussion, Creating chances is half the battle. If you're creating good chances, goals are going to come. The hardest thing to do is, you know, create great goal-scoring opportunities. So that is definitely a positive. But I do think, you know, to Donna's question, I do think that the Dash came in with a good game plan and played pretty well, actually. And they deserve some credit because Houston came in knowing 
that they were a worse team than the Thorns. So they got numbers behind the ball. They stayed really compact and disciplined and organized, and they made it difficult for the Thorns. And that was a very strategic game plan for them to come in. And, you know, we you can look at the NWSL table and say that the Dash are a bad team, and I don't actually think the Dash have looked like a bad team. I mean, they've gotten some good results. The North Carolina Courage, who again famously beat the Thorns 6-0, <laughs> they could only beat the Dash by 1-0 as well. The Dash know how to keep games tight. Uh, the Dash actually beat the Utah Royals in the game before that. So the Dash have been getting good results. I think they are a good team that is very aware of its own strengths and weaknesses, They defend and counter. That's how they came into this game. They put up a good fight. I do think it was a a good performance from the Thorns, but it felt more cathartic. Like, they they just needed to find a way to move past that Courage game. Yeah, I thought it was a good, not great performance from the Thorns. They got the win. I I think that's what mattered in in terms of a confidence boost for a team coming off a 6-0 loss. I, I agree with you in terms of, Houston's compact defense I, I I during the game was was sort of thinking hey are we watching the Timbers because we have a, a team struggling against <laughs> another team that's throwing numbers into the box so it, it sort of um, almost felt like the game plan that teams have been using against the Timbers but I, I I think the Thorns created some dangerous chances they got the win they found the goal that's the important part I do think it's interesting after the game that Tobin Heath did talk about how difficult it has been coming from the World Cup I, I, I think, you know, if any team is talking about fatigue, I, I think it, it does make sense that the Thorns are dealing with some of that with players going in and out all season and, and coming from the World Cup. And, and just in terms of the chemistry and getting to where they want at the end of the year, where they're sort of hitting their stride like they've been in the past, I think that has been harder for them this year. And they're not really at the point that I would like to see them at this at this point in the season. Um but I, I think they still have the talent to get there in the next uh, two games. I, I think the fact that they have rest and, and will have more time on the training pitch, they're not playing midweek games, they're not having players go in and out for international duty, I think that helps and could put them in a position where they can still be peaking going into playoffs. So I agree with yeah. Donna. This game didn't feel as decisive as I want it to be, but I yeah. think they got what they needed, which was the win. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't decisive as, I mean, clearly from our predictions, we thought that they were going to come in guns blazing, and they did not do that. And, I mean, they struggled a bit to get past Houston's bunker. And, you know, like you said, it was a little bit of that deja vu. Like, are we watching the Timbers? (laughs) Are we watching another team that can't get around a bunker? But I do think it's a little different than the Timbers, where I feel that the Timbers' problem in dealing with bunkering teams is that they sort of resort to these long range, low percentage shots, these just sort of desperate crosses from way out. I think the thorns actually created some pretty good chances and I think it was more finishing. That was the problem than anything else. And for me, that's sort of the thing that I think about that maybe leaves me a little more concerned about this performance is the individual player performances. In the last podcast, we talked about Lindsay Horan not playing as well as she did last year. And when I think about the whole Thorns team up and down the roster, do you think it's fair to say that 
almost every player on the team is having a worse season this year than they did last year. Because yeah. well, when I go through player by player, like I think Midge Purse is an exception because yeah. she really wasn't playing last year and she was in a different position. And I think she's putting in a lot of good work. But other than Midge Purse, I'm having trouble thinking of another player who isn't worse this year than they were last year. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think, you know, Klingenberg has pretty much been the same as last year. I I think overall from her performances, I I don't know that we've seen like a a big drop off by any means from like AD French. Um, But yeah, I think specifically, especially with the international players, um, there has been a significant drop off. When you look at Lindsey Rand, Tobin Heath, I, I think Sinclair had a really strong stretch, but there's been a drop off in, in the recent games. Um, I think Haley Rasso's looked strong in, in moments. Um, obviously, like Caitlin Ford hasn't even been able to get back on the field. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I would agree with that. There's a lot of players on this roster. I, I don't know that I would say all of them, but a lot of players on this roster that have dipped in form from last year this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked about players coming in and out from the World Cup and how that can affect chemistry. I think all of these things are sort of connected. I, You know, since I've joined the podcast, we've certainly talked a lot about chemistry maybe being an issue as players are coming in and out and I think I think it's all connected I the team just as a whole hasn't looked as good and I think individually the players haven't looked as good so I think that the Houston game obviously the Thorns get the win that's what they need to do I I think it's almost at least from my perspective it's going to be a better test to see where this team is at uh, this weekend when they face they go on the road and face the rain that Sunday at 11 a.m. The Rain have already beat the Thorns twice this year, one to nothing. And the Rain are a good team. They are they are fighting for a playoff spot. They have consistently been a playoff team. I think the Thorns, you know, even against a Houston team that had a game plan, Houston was a worse team than the Thorns, and they were expected to win. I think to really see where the Thorns are at heading into playoffs, this Rain game is going to tell us a lot more. But what do you think? I have to be honest, you know, I think people listen to this podcast because they want opinions from people who are following this stuff really closely. But I'm going to be honest, I don't really know who the real thorns are at this point. So I don't, you know, I don't know if if the real thorns are going to be who we're going to see against the rain or if it's who we saw against the North Carolina Courage, frankly, because the thorns have been inconsistent this year in a way that I don't know if we've really seen under Mark Parsons before. Usually at this point in the season, this is where they're hitting their stride. This is where everything is coming together. And it still feels like they're trying to figure things out and we're running out of time. The se- you know, the season is almost over and the Thorns are in playoffs. So knowing that they're in, whether they host or not, that's still up for grabs. But the Thorns know that they're in the playoffs, so they have a little time to try to work some of this stuff out before the playoffs start. But they've been so inconsistent that I have a hard time saying that this is what the Thorns are, this is what they're not. Because I feel like since I've joined the podcast, the whole time I've been saying, you know, We don't need to worry about the Thorns. They're number one in the standings. They always come together towards the end of the season. But now we're here, and that hasn't really happened. So I'm kind of left unsure of how good I think this Thorns team is right now. And they could go to Seattle and have a great game, 
They could have a terrible game, and I don't think that would tell me anything about the next game that they're going to play. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I think the more we have these weeks where the Thorns have a full lead-up to the to the game, they're going to have a full week into Seattle, uh, a full week in a day, actually, and then they're going to have two weeks before that next game. There's going to be an international break there, so that might be right back to the same problem we talked about before in terms of not getting all that training time, but... I, I think that they have time to work out those kinks on the training field right now and to try to build into the team they want to be at the end of the season. But but I think you're right. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit for the team that they've been. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit for the fact that many of these players have been with the team for years and we've grown to know what to expect from these players. Um, it's certainly later in the season than we've looked at in the last few years when we've talked about when the Thorns have hit their stride. And they're clearly not there yet. So I think this will, I do still think this game against the rain will be telling, but maybe we shouldn't take quite as much out of it until we see how they can follow it up uh, within the game against Washington and, and heading into the postseason. Yeah, I think the only thing I'm really sure about in the NWSL right now is that the Courage are the best team and they are the favorites to win the championship again. They've already clinched the shield. Otherwise, it's sort of up for grabs. I mean, it's going to be an exciting finish because the sword seems very unpredictable right now. But yeah, this is definitely a departure from what we've seen as sort of the usual rhythm of the thorns under Mark Parsons. And, you know, we, we can chalk it up to the World Cup year and all that. Whatever the reasons are, there's something going on with the team where they just haven't been reliable as they've been. So I'm going to be watching this rain game. Uh, not knowing what to expect, and it's going to be an interesting finish to the season. So let's get hit our predictions before we go. The first game we're going to predict for this week is going to be Timbers versus New England. That is Wednesday. What do you think is going to happen? So I think that the Timbers are going to continue to struggle, but not terribly. I think they are going to finally score a goal. Hooray! <laughs> They're going to get a 1-1 draw, and like I said, I think Jeremy Bobasi is going to be the first timber to break that uh, scoreless streak. All right. I think that the timbers are going to not rebound quite as well. I am, I am concerned that, that they're talking about tiredness. I, I mean, even if every team's tired at this point, they, they, that was a storyline coming out of the game and, and that, um, that fatigue is something that worries me. I, I think that this is going to be a highly disappointing performance I think it's going to just be a continuation. The team's going to look tired. They're going to look fatigued. They're not going to be able to find the goal. I think they're going to lose two to nothing, and they're going to hit another crossbar in the process. Ooh. Yeah. Brutal. Uh, uh, Maybe more positive. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, Thorns versus Rain. uh, That's the Sunday morning game. Yeah, so I'm going to go negative here. Why not? I feel like I've been a little negative on this podcast overall. So uh, zero to one loss, and I think a Thorns player is going to get a red card. You're not going to get – you're going to keep it open. Keep what – oh, the player? Yeah. Um, yeah, I my specificity on the side bets has never really helped me. So um, I'm not going to pick a player – well – who would it be if you thought of a Thorns Emily player? Emily <laughs> Well, yes, that is who jumped to my mind as well. But I just feel like after her last red card, <laughs> she might like be on the more straight and narrow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think. 
Klingenberg. Klingenberg can get a little feisty. <laughs> All right. You've talked me into picking a player, even though I, I think that's risky. I'm going to say Klingenberg is going to get the red card. All right. Um, I'm going to go with something more positive. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw, which would at least be an improvement for the Thorns' uh, previous uh, games against the Rain this season. I think Midge Purse is going to score the goal. Hmm. Okay. Final game of the weekend. Uh, it's going to be a big day of soccer Sunday for, for fans that want to watch all day. Uh, Tibbers versus Kansas City in the afternoon. What do you have? I'm feeling a little more positive about the prospect of the Timbers going on the road. Steve Clark can start talking about the road dogs again. Uh, (laughs) I think it'll be a nice little break for them. I think they're going to get a 2-0 win on the road. And I think Brian Fernandez is going to get a goal. That would be really big for the Timbers for Brian Fernandez to break the scoring drought. I also think it's going to be a win. I, I think that Kansas City is fading. I think by next Sunday, they, they may be out of playoffs entirely. Um, so I am going to predict a 2-1 win. I think Abobasi, this is the game he's going to get a goal, and it's going to, just going to take a game longer than your prediction. Yeah, so according to your predictions, they're going to go, what is it, 360 minutes without a goal, but then Obobese is just going to open those floodgates. So. Yeah. If that happens, that'll be really exciting for Jeremy Abobasi. Yep. Um, <laughs> we will see. Uh, let's hit the fantasy update before we go. Uh, in our head-to-head league, third place, we have Danzo McDowell. That is Dan. In second place, we have Sloppy Sloppy Sloppy. That is Steve. And in first place uh, is still Mark. That's Flicking Porti- Portland PTSC. In our open league, uh, this looks like it's the same from last week. Third place, Wook score more goals. That's Robert. Second place, Gem City SC. That's Ryan. And first place, Portland Tobin FC. That is B. That is all we have for you today. Uh, as always, we're Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on Oregon Live and Stumptown Footy. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify uh, as of last week. Um, and until next week, take care. Take care.